to break it to John, but he's not the only person I've made cry reaching from this stage, right? Some of y'all look at your watch and cry, is he ever going to get done? Some of y'all wake up from a nap and you're like, he's still preaching. Some of y'all cry because of the way I say my H's, Houston, huge, human, whatever, right? I know I've made several of you cry. I, uh, I do enjoy teaching. Uh, I love it. Um, I'm honored that the elders would say, hey, we want to see you in this role. Uh, my ideal job a few years ago was I was teaching six days a week. I was a, a church plant pastor. It was a small church, and uh, they had a, just a, a small salary that they could pay me, about 100 people in a small town. And, and so in order to make ends meet, I got a teaching certificate, and I went and taught fifth or sixth grade math and science. So I got to teach math and science Monday through Friday. And then I got to teach God's word on Sunday. The only thing that would have been better is if I could have taught the Bible every day. The great thing about the sixth graders is they had to be there. And so I had a captive audience. You never knew who was going to show up on a Sunday, but you know exactly those 30 kids were going to be in the room. So I loved it. While we were there, we were going to buy a house, and uh, in buying a house, we got the, the mortgage company involved, and I told them, I said, hey, I, I know this salary doesn't look like a lot as a, as a pastor of this small church, and first-year teacher salary at a small school, it doesn't look like a lot, but if I put them together, I promise I can make the mortgage payments. And we went through that whole deal, and at the end, they said, yeah, we love you, but I don't care about your promises. We need more than your word because what happens in six months when you're tired of working two jobs and you quit one of those, then we're not so sure this salary is going to take care of this mortgage. And so the underwriter came back and said, we need a cosigner. Now, as a grown man, I'm not real happy about that. And I made a phone call I didn't want to make. I called my dad called my dad. He is tighter than tight. He, he, this is the last conversation I wanted to have with my dad. He was 30 years with the Union Pacific Railroad. He had a great retirement. I just said, dad, this is what I need. He was very reluctant. He's like, man, Russell, if something happens, I don't know if I can take care of my stuff and your stuff. And I'm like, just trust me, dad, right? Just trust me. And, and he was reluctant. And finally he was good. And I said, Hey, when the bank calls. All of this wishy-washy's got to disappear. They need you to be confident, right? I don't need you questioning it. I don't need you like, well, I just signed the paperwork, right? So everything went fine. I don't have any weird story of how I missed a payment and dad had to bail me out. But when I did finally sell that house, I could hear my dad breathe a sigh of relief from like three hours away. Contracts happen all the time in our life, right? Whether it's a mortgage, buying a car, leasing a car. Some of you teachers have signed contracts. They're a part of our normal life. Most of the time, a contract needs a witness. Most of the time, contracts need some sort of guarantee that you will do it. You have the assets or a down payment or something that says, I'm good to go. And sometimes you need a cosigner that can back it up, that has the financial backing to make this happen. And in the Bible, contracts are there all the time. We don't call them contracts. We call them covenants. And so these, these contracts or these covenants, and sometimes God enters into a contract with us, with people. And when he does, he is guaranteeing, he is signing on the line, he is making it clear that I can do what I said I'm going to do. 
Now, let me just give you a few examples of these before I jump into our passage today. One of those contracts or those covenants was one that God made with Noah. If you'll remember, it, it, it was going to flood, rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and they got on this boat, and after the waters receded, they got off the boat, and God looked at Noah, and he made a promise. He entered a contract or a covenant, and he said this. He said, it will not flood like this ever again. I'm not going to flood the earth. That's a, a contract. That's a covenant. And then to show the witness or the proof is what? A rainbow. A rainbow is that deal that says if it starts raining 20 days in a row and water gets about knee high and you see that rainbow, you can know, hey, we have a witness. Hey, we have a guarantee. Hey, we have something that says God is going to be faithful and he's never going to flood the earth again. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Light reflect, refracting off of water is not that great of a, a, a contract to me. Most bankers are going to want something more than that, but that's the witness. That's the witness. Why does he do that? Because even in the ancient Near East, thousands of years ago, you had to have a cosigner. You had to have a witness. You had to have some sort of proof. Most of the time when people would enter into a contract with each other, they would swear by their gods. I found this crazy passage from the Hittites where they just started listing off all of their gods. I mean, just naming them off to say, I swear by this God and I swear by this God. We do the same thing, right? I mean, when you go to court and you're going to give your testimony, you put your hand on a Bible and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me. God. Why? Because you're saying the Bible and God is greater than I am. And so I am putting myself under that authority. It is guaranteed. Other people might say, as God is my witness, I promise. At elementary school, they pinky swear. I swear, I swear, right? Because you know you have to swear by something greater than yourself. So God made another covenant. God made a covenant with a guy named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, one of your most important chapters in all your Bible. He looked at Abraham and he said, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation, even though you don't have kids right now. I'm going to give you land and I'm going to bless every person on the planet through you. That's what I'm going to do. And chapters later, when Abraham was going to sacrifice this child, Isaac, that he had been waiting for, that was going to be the lineage for this great nation, God finally stops him. And God says this, because you were willing to do it, he says, I swear by myself. I swear by myself. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That same thing is repeated in Hebrews chapter 6. It was so profound that the writer of Hebrews said the same thing. He said when, when God made a covenant with Abraham, it said he swore by himself. He swore by his holiness. Why? Because there was no one greater for God to swear by. God can't say, I swear to, to God. He just swears by himself because there's nothing greater than him. And when he did it, he was making a guarantee. Now, some of you might sit back and look at me and say, that's great. And you've been going to church all your life and you love Jesus and you're, you think, man, God is holy and pure and he doesn't lie and I can trust it. And some of you might be saying, that sounds like a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I need a cosigner. I need some proof. I need, I need something that says this is going to be guaranteed. 
There's another contract that I want to show you today, and it's going to be questioned. It's going to be a questioned as to God, and are you going to make good on it? And that covenant, that contract is made with David, the guy we've been talking about all summer long. And that contract with David is, is going to hit some shaky spots, and there's a guy named Ethan who's going to rise up and say, whoa, 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 are you going to keep your word? Let's take a look at it. Second Samuel chapter 7. Sorry, it took me a while to get to the text today, but I wanted to make sure we had this covenant contract language in our minds. I'm not going to preach the whole thing. Pastor uh, Matt, he's our, our family pastor. He did this several weeks ago. I just want to remind you of the covenant. Second Samuel 7 starts in the middle of verse 11. It says this, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. And when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you, your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. That is God speaking to David saying, David, I'm going to give you a kingdom and it's going to be one of your descendants and it's going to be great. And then he goes on and he says this, verse 13, he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is a massive contract. This is a big promise. This is saying, hey, David, when you're long gone, the throne of Israel, the one that you're sitting on is going to be established and there's going to be a descendant from you that's going to sit on that throne and they're not just going to sit on it. It's going to be theirs forever, forever and ever. Verse 14. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And when he does wrong, I'll discipline him with human rod and with blows from others. But my faithful love will never leave him as I removed it from Saul. Remember, Saul was the king before David. And because Saul wasn't faithful, God said, hey, I got to remove my spirit from you. So whenever you hear about the throne of Israel, they don't call it the throne of Saul. They don't call it the throne of Solomon. They don't call it the throne of Hezekiah. They call it the throne of what? David. It's his throne. And then he says, I removed him from your way. Verse 16, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. That's a promise, isn't it? Now, I want to ask you this. Who co-signs that deal? Who's the confident co-signer that says, I am going to make sure this happens? Now, at the beginning of this chapter, you'll see that there's no war going on and everything's at peace and David's conquered his enemies and he's sitting back and he's trying to figure out what to do with my time and so I need to build something. What a great opportunity to make a promise, right? While everything's good. But I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. Let me fast forward, spoiler alert for those of you who may not be real familiar with the kingdom. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be several kings after David, and those kings, for the most part, are not going to be good kings. And when they're not good kings, this nation is going to be split north and south. And because they're evil and wicked and worship other gods, the Assyrians and the Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to tear down the walls. They're going to tear down the temples, and they're going to overthrow the kingdom which means there'll be no king on the throne. And Ethan is going to show up and say, where are you? You made a promise. You signed the covenant, the contract. Are you going to be good with it? Are you going to be good with it? 
So the rest of our time, I want to show you where Ethan makes this plea to God and gets in his face about keeping his covenant. And God shows him, wait a minute, I got a cosigner. Let me show it to you in Psalm 89. That's where we're going to be the rest of our time. Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is all about 2 Samuel 7. It's all about this contract. It's all about this covenant. Let me read it to you, first couple of verses. I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth. I will declare faithful love is built up forever. You establish your faithfulness in the heavens. That starts great, doesn't it? This is what I call a compliment sandwich. Has anybody ever had a compliment sandwich before? Boss calls you in and says, hey, we need to talk. Just want to let you know you're doing a great job. Fantastic way to show up to work on time. But, and then you get 10 minutes of being smacked in the face, right? And then at the end, there's the compliment to sandwich it all together. Man, I just, I love how you park in the parking lot. You're just doing a great job. <laughs> this is what it feels like Ethan is doing here. Let me just, let me just give it to you. Lay it on. You're faithful. You're faithful, right? And then look at what he does. Verse 3. The Lord said, now he's going to start quoting God here. The Lord said, I made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring and build your throne for all generations. End quote. Those are your words, God. That's what you said. This is the way I envision it. I envision Ethan like getting through with the compliment part and then pulling out a manila folder and opening it up and turning to the second page of the document and saying, this is the contract. I want to read section two. Article B, you know, this little section in here, and this is what it says. This is what you said. This is what you said you were going to do. And then he goes on in verse 5. Lord, the heavens praise your wonders, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? I think he's saying, I get it. You can't swear by anybody else. There's no one up there. There's no spiritual being, no one in the, in the unseen realm that is like you. You are the best. You are the greatest. You are God most high. Skip down a few verses, verse 11. He says, the heavens are yours, but the earth is also yours. The world and everything in it, you founded them north and south. You created them. And he's going to go on for several more verses. And he's going to talk about how God is the heaven, God is the, the creator of the earth. And so the heavens declare it and there's no one like you. The earth is shouting your praise. And then all of a sudden, and he gets bold. He pulls that file out. And he starts saying some stuff. Now, I'm going to skip ahead just a tad. I want you to, to go to verse 38. And if, if you're going to be Ethan and you're going to stand before God and you're going to question a contract or a covenant, this is how you do it. Look at what he says, verse 38. But you have spurned and rejected him, being David. You became enraged with your anointed. You have repudiated the covenant with your servant. Can you imagine saying that to God? You're not keeping your covenant? You have broken down all his walls. You have reduced his fortified cities to ruin. Here's Ethan looking, af look looking out after Jerusalem and Assyria's come through and Babylon's come through and he's looking at it and saying, this is the kingdom you say is going to last forever? 
this is what it looks like? He says, verse 41, all who pass by plunder him. He has become an object of ridicule to his neighbors. You have lifted high the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back his sharp sword and have not let him stand in battle. You have made his splendor cease. You have overturned his throne. You have overturned his throne. You have lied. That's, that's a bold move, isn't it? You have shortened the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. You said he was going to last forever. You said the kingdom would stand. You said the king would be on the throne. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but verse 49, he says, excuse me, verse 46, how long, O Lord, will you hide yourself? How long are we going to endure this? Here's the problem that Ethan has. Ethan has this problem of saying, all I know to do is come to the God who made the contract with us and to make the covenant with us. And in the middle of this psalm, he is going to quote God's words back to him. But Ethan missed the cosigner. He missed the cosigner. He missed the underwriter. He missed the one who could guarantee that this covenant would take place. Let me show it to you. It is fascinating. He missed it. And you can't blame him because all Ethan was looking at was what? For a physical king to sit on a physical throne. And Ethan was expecting there to be no hardship. That doesn't sound familiar, does it? It just should be easy. Let's go back, verse 19. This is Ethan saying, You, Lord, once spoke in a vision to your loyal ones and said, in quotes, I have granted help to a warrior. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. I have anointed him with my sacred oil. When we started this series, we started way back then, when Jesse had to go find that last son out in the field and anointed him with oil. Ethan's saying, that's David, that's your boy. Verse 21, my hand will always be with him. That's what you said, Lord. And my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not afflict him. No wicked man will oppress him. That's not what's happening, Lord. That's not what's happening. We're struggling. Verse 24, or excuse me, 23. I will crush his foes before him. I will strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and love will be with him. And through my name, his horn will be exalted. I will extend his power to the sea and his right hand to the rivers. He will call to me. You are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. And Ethan's saying that's well and good. I'm glad he will do it. But it don't look like that's happening now. Verse 27. I will also make him my firstborn, greatest of the kings of the earth. How is he going to be the greatest of the kings of the earth? We don't even have a kingdom right now. I will always preserve my faithful love for him and my covenant with him will endure. Verse 29, I will establish his line forever. That's what you said, God. His throne, as long as heaven lasts. 
If his son forsake my instruction and do not live by my ordinances, if they dishonor my statutes and do not keep my commands, then I will call their rebellion to account with the rod, their sin with blows. I'm going to discipline them. And you said you would do that. But I will not withdraw my faithful love from him or betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or change what my lips have said. Now, this is where it gets good. This is what he missed. You ready? He's saying it, and he's saying it, and he's saying it. But God said this, verse 35. Once and for all, I have sworn an oath by my what? Here he is again, swearing by himself, saying, I'm going to be the cosigner. You can trust me. Swear by my holiness. And then he says, I will not lie to David. His offspring will continue forever. His throne like the sun before me, like the moon established forever, a faithful witness in the sky. I do not have time to get as nerdy as I want here, but I'm going to just for a moment, all right? Um, this is a poem, and in poems you use all kinds of poetic language, and in Hebrew syntax you would use parallelism, where you would say the same thing two different ways. So, for example, I would say, it's raining hard outside. It's raining cats and dogs. I just said the same thing two different ways. Now, let me show you to you. Sometimes parallelism happens verse after verse. Sometimes they're split. So let me go back up there to verse 35. Let me show you what's going to parallel it. I have sworn an oath by my holiness. It goes down to the bottom, verse 37, and we know that's the bottom because there's a break, Selah, and he says, a faithful witness in the sky. The New American Standard gets this parallelism and it translates it this way. And the witness in the skies is faithful. A witness in the skies? What? We got some witness up there that is able to be sworn by God's holiness? That's crazy, isn't it? And then the other parallelism is the sun and the moon. Those two things go together. And so now I got to figure out what this faithful witness in the heavens, the skies would be. You might say, oh, that just seems like some random deal, just poetic language. Let me show it to you one other place, just to make sure you think I'm not being crazy. You ready? Let me go, let me show it to you in Job. Job chapter 16. It's going to be on the, the screen here. You remember Job written thousands of years before this. Job has his family, his, nearly his life, all of his, his riches taken away from him. And this is what he says in verse 18. Earth do not cover my my blood. May my cry for help find no resting place. I want my cry for help to go as long as it needs to go. Even now my witness in heaven and my advocate is in the heights. And I don't think Job had a clue who he was talking about here. Now some of you have put two and two together, haven't you? Who in the world could be holy like God and a faithful witness at the same time. And for those of you who think I might be stretching it, Jesus Christ takes care of it for us. In Revelation chapter 1, listen to these words. They're absolutely beautiful. John, who's writing the book, 
to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is coming. That's God the Father. And from the seven spirits, seven being perfect, holy, the Holy Spirit, before his throne, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the what? The what? <laughs> Jesus is sitting back saying, I'm that one. That's me. I'm the faithful witness. And watch this. Look at what he does next. He says, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Ethan had no idea who he was talking about. He missed it. And rightfully so, it's okay. But we don't miss it because Jesus Christ said, I'm that faithful witness. I'm the one who can co-sign. I'm the one who can guarantee it. I'm the one who is willing and able to make sure that line goes on and on and on forever. And some of you say, that's great, Russell. How did he do it? Fantastic question. Right now, you just heard John say there are six campuses. Right now at Radius Centerville, Radius Centerville right out here outside of Gilbert, Ryan Maloney's their pastor. If I want Ryan Maloney to know I'm saying something positive about him right now, I will tell him. Everybody with me? There's a little friendly competition between us, so I don't need you to say this. But right now, Ryan Maloney is preaching a sermon called Christmas in August on this exact same thought. Why? Because the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary and when the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary, she heard these words. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him Jesus, and he's going to be son of the Most High. He's going to sit on the throne of who? David. And he's going to rule over that kingdom forever. Jesus doesn't just have the ability to co-sign it. He co-signed it. He came here and did it. We have that faithful witness. And some of you say, that's great, Russell. God didn't make that contract with me. I'm just worried about my marriage, my kids. I'm just worried about how do I have a quiet time that's not stale and stagnant. I'm worried about those things, and I just want to I just want to remind you, there's this beautiful passage that Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And you want to know why? Because he's the faithful witness. And he's the faithful witness because he came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he was buried, and three days later he rose again, and he has all the authority. And so one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we will see this faithful witness sit on his rightful throne forever. Forever. That's what he's going to do. And we can trust that, and we can... Just like Ethan, maybe question, and we can say, God, when? And God can say, ah, faithful witness. There's a faithful witness. I don't have a whole lot for you in terms of application today other than I think this just ought to make us worship a God who would send his son Jesus 
to be that, that co-signer, and to co-sign with his, his life, right? Many of you know I've been on sabbatical for the last month. I worshiped at six different churches. And uh, five of those, no kidding, five of those took bread and juice, just like we do every Sunday. And so today, if you're new, I, I, I can't think of a better way to make much of King Jesus, the faithful witness, than to come down here, maybe the front or the back, and to, to take this, this, this piece of bread that represents his body and this, this cup that represents his blood and to say, you know what? Thank you for being a faithful witness. Thank you for, for coming through on this promise. Thank you for co-signing this. Thank you for what you've done for me. And so when the band comes out and we start singing, you don't have to move immediately. I just encourage you maybe to say thank you. I encourage some of you just to say, wow, Lord, you are faithful, even though I may not feel it right now. Some of us may just need to confess a few things, but this table is open because we have a faithful witness who is a confident co-signer. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, um, I love seeing your word come to life and all because you, all because you have a, a clear plan and you knew exactly what needed to be accomplished. You, you, you make no promise flippantly. You make no promise flippantly. So Lord, I thank you that you, you spoke to King David and you told him about a descendant and I think all he was thinking about was Solomon and we get to look back and know you were thinking about Jesus. So Lord, I pray that as we get the benefit of looking back in time to see that clearly your plan is being worked out, that that would give us confidence today to know that even while things are shaky around us, that there's pain in our hearts and lives, that we know that you are good and your son is a faithful, loyal, dedicated, even to death, witness to your credit and on our behalf. So Lord, be honored as we sing these words to you and as we take this bread and juice to remember the, the cost of this co-signing. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name. Amen.